In 2008, Ari Aster delivered the film Hereditary to audiences. Critically acclaimed, but not as well received by mainstream audiences, Hereditary earned a dismal D-plus cinema score. For those that may not know, cinema score measures audiences' response to films by polling them on a film's opening night for their reactions. They're considered industry leaders, having been doing this since 1978, in a bid for theatre audiences to have a public voice for their opinion about a movie's appeal. Films are graded A to F, so a score of D plus is pretty bad. There are plenty of articles online if you want to delve into the rabbit hole about why the film scored so well with critics and yet so poorly with the average moviegoer, myself included. I watched the film in 2018 when it was first released. I was looking forward to watching this new, hyped-up horror film, but instead I found myself shaking my head at the absurdity of some of the scenes. It's only now, when researching unusual deaths and strange occurrences, that I realised it wasn't so absurd after all. I'm Lauren, and this is The Truth Inside, Hereditary and the Death of Francis Brom. Hereditary is a psychological horror movie centred around the Graham family, Steve, Annie and their children Peter and Charlie. Ellen, Annie's mother, has just passed away after prolonged illness and the film starts with a family gathering for the funeral. There's some foreshadowing here. The daughter Charlie starts to eat a chocolate bar and both parents make reference to it doesn't contain nuts, does it? Signalling to the audience that Charlie is indeed allergic. Charlie is a strange child. There's references to her drawing headless figures. She is haunted by a strange light that travels in waves. And at one point she pulls the head off a pigeon. All of this becoming more relevant as the film progresses. Just note though, we won't be going into the overall plot or the point of the movie. So one day, Peter, the son, was invited to a party and wanted to attend, but knew that he wouldn't be allowed. Like many other teenagers before him, he lied to his mum, Annie, telling her he wanted to attend a school event, the school barbecue, and borrow one of the cars. She asked if he would be drinking. He said no. While she didn't necessarily believe this, he was quite persuasive. Whilst this lie was accepted and he was given the go-ahead, there was a downside. He'd need to take his younger sister, Charlie, with him. At the party, there was, of course, drinks and also drugs. Peter started talking with a girl he liked, and together they went off to smoke weed. To placate his sister, he pointed out that they were giving out chocolate cake and that she should go over and get some, giving him the opportunity to separate from her. Whilst he is off getting high, Charlie is seen wolfing down a slice of chocolate cake, only to go into anaphylactic shock as the cake included walnuts, to which we know from earlier on in the film she is actually allergic. When she comes to him, stating her throat was getting bigger, He grabs Charlie, putting her into the back of the car and racing in the dead of night to the nearest hospital, knowing it was critical to get her there and to get her treatment. In her desperate attempt to breathe, she puts down the window and sticks her head out, gasping for every single breath. Peter turns to her before focusing back on the road, only to see a deer laying there in the middle. He swerves, the camera panning back to Charlie. In horror, her head is hurtling towards a telephone pole. She is decapitated. It's a freak accident. Peter is in complete and utter shock. He can't even bring himself to look in the rearview mirror. He tells himself that everything is fine, driving home and pulling into the driveway. He gets out of the car and heads inside. 
In shock and in denial, and no doubt still high, he slips into bed fully clothed and lays there until the next morning. It's only then that the reality is realised. Annie off-camera heads to the car, only to find her daughter's lifeless body still in the position in the back seat. Annie's screams are undoubtedly haunting, and that's where the film gets it spot on. Her screams are so uncomfortable to listen to. The film continues from here. Charlie's death is the catalyst for everything else in the film, but I'll leave the plot summary there. Hopefully you can relate when I say it sounds absurd. Not so much the decapitation, but the idea that Peter drives home, gets into bed, and just leaves his sister's body in the back seat to be discovered the following morning. I sat there and thought, yeah right, like you would just drive home. The whole thing seemed so scripted, far-fetched. That was until I started research for this video. I didn't pick hereditary purposefully. In fact, I would have avoided it. Like I said earlier, I didn't really enjoy the film's slow burn and the fever dream quality, and I haven't watched it again all the way through since. But I was researching unusual deaths following my previous episode. For those watching on YouTube, that's linked above. It was then I came across the death of Francis Brom and immediately said hereditary. Now, based on my research, it's never been acknowledged by Ariaster that this true life event even served as inspiration. But he did state that Charlie's decapitation was the first image that came to his mind when writing the movie. So let's assume that he probably did hear of the story or others similar and use this as a source of inspiration. It was Saturday night in August 2004 in Georgia. Best friends, John and Francis, Frankie, were out having a couple of drinks. Their plan was to start early, finish late and just to have a good time all round. Both had been friends since high school and considered each other as brothers. John Kemper Hutchison was 21, Francis Daniel Brom, Frankie, was 23. They were in Runaround Sue's in Marietta, having gathered to watch the televised NASCAR event. Francis was a mechanic who would often work late before meeting up with his friends. In the early hours of Sunday morning, Francis complained he felt unwell so the two best friends decided they should probably head home. Despite both being incredibly drunk, John made the decision to drive home, reasoning he knew the route well and had made this trip both sober and drunk many times before. It was on the drive that Francis, overcome with sickness, stuck his head out the passenger seat window and started vomiting. This would have been fine had John not swerved to avoid another vehicle. Little did he know at the time, but as he swerved and came off the road, his vehicle drove straight towards a telephone pole, the support wire from the pole shearing off the vehicle's mirror and his best friend's head. Francis was still hanging out of the window at the time and the wire sliced completely through his neck. John, unaware of the situation, likely due to the volume of alcohol in his system, continued to drive home more than 10 miles. He parked in the driveway and stumbled to his bed, his best friend still hanging from the car and his clothes blooded from the accident. Unfortunately, it was a neighbour out on a walk with his daughter the following morning at about 8am who came upon the scene and called the police. The police found John asleep inside, visibly drunk and covered in blood. According to reports, he appeared remorseful, and whilst no foul play was ever suspected at the time, a county police spokesman did say, It's hard for one to imagine that you would drive miles from a crush site to your home, turning in various directions, and yet not know what has happened to a passenger sitting next to you. When the case went to trial, John pled guilty and was charged with a DUI, failure to stop and also first-degree vehicle homicide, receiving five years imprisonment. 
This may have something to do with the fact that the Brom family asked for leniency. They knew no one was really to blame. It was a one in a million accident. And it stands as testimony to their friendship that they knew John wouldn't have done anything to purposely hurt Francis. This is supported by the fact that when John was released from jail, he said, I want to thank the Brom family for supporting my release. According to his obituary, Francis, or Frankie to his friends and family, was said to be a beloved family member and friend who loved people. He was an avid outdoorman and was passionate about camping and experiencing God's wonder of nature. Frankie never met a stranger and his spirit and zest for living life to its fullest will be missed terribly by those whose lives he has touched. So back to hereditary. I think the problem with hereditary for me was it's more niche appeal than mass appeal. It's definitely a slow burner. There's no relentless jump scares. It's this build-up of tension. There are without a doubt some standout performances and I think Charlie's death, or at least the immediate aftermath of it, create one of the best scenes in the film. It's so easy to write of stories like this, to assume it's plucked out of a writer's head for pure shock effect, without considering there may be some truth behind it. Decapitation itself isn't an uncommon element, but it's circumstances that lead up to it and then the tale afterwards that's chilling. It's bad enough thinking of the accident itself and having to face that call to the police, but it's the shiver I get up my spine thinking that John drove the rest of the way home, seemingly unaware, and curled up in bed, his best friend's blood still covering his body, his clothes. The scene is so horrific and hereditary when Annie comes across the headless corpse, and yet some poor father and his young daughter had to witness the same thing in real life. It doesn't bear thinking about. And whether this was part of the inspiration or not, the similarities are too close to ignore. Thank you for watching. Take care. Thank you for joining me as we discuss the truth inside true crime, mysteries and legends from around the world. As terrifying and as uncomfortable as the truth may be, as Theodore Roosevelt once said, in the end, the most unpleasant truth is a safer companion than a pleasant falsehood. Until next time. Hi everyone, Lauren here. Just wanted to say thank you for watching or listening. Your support is very much appreciated. If you've got a case or a mystery, something you'd like to recommend, then please feel free to email the truthinsidepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe.